Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Sour and Sass. I am very excited to be joined today uh, by Brian O'Neill. I kind of skipped the first part, Neville O'Neill, which is awesome. Do we get a nice freeze two seconds into the live show? I like that. Um, that is just all-time production. What's up, Brian? Are you alive? Just frozen right when we went live. I love that. Well, as I buffer here for a second, Brian uh, is director of marketing for product at Log Rocket, and super excited to have him. Tune back in, Brian. Yeah, get me back in there. There we go. Ah, we're back. I was like, man, we just like kind of shot the crap for like 20 minutes. It felt like offline and we go live and you freeze immediately. That was I awesome. just decided that I wouldn't want to do this anymore is what happened. <laughs> forget it. I know. Once I blanked on the – dude, you have like two titles and two last names in my defense. I was like trying and I, I missed the Neville part. So my bad. Brian Neville O'Neill. Excited to have you here. It's exciting to be here. And yeah, I mean, the, the, the two last names is important. I feel like, you know, it's sort of in vogue now and, and very common. But when I was growing up, it was just me. It was, that was it. So, yeah, yeah. You, you, I haven't actually, you're my first two last name introduction I think I've had. Well, get used to like, it, man. We're out there. I know. I love it too because both of them, like, I can think of like soccer players in Europe that had both last names. And it's like the ultimate like UK last names, I feel like. Well, listen, I'm sure this is why the audience tuned in yeah. is to listen to me talk about how, but like, you know, the Spanish have like a formal, that's how they do it. Yeah. My parents just happened to be seated next to each other in college and Ooh. a no, and uh, yeah, my mom kept her name. So now Hell yeah. Both. And here we are today on Sour and Sass. Well, yeah. let's start with the sour candy and then I'll ask you my first question. Are you ready? Oh yeah, I'm ready. Yeah, let's we're getting it. all the way in, man. I'm sorry. Let's go. Sounds right. super loud, the rap. I got too loud. You're all right. Okay, that's sour. But that's real sour. Wow. Um, this is not good. No, it's not. It's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not. As, I thought it was going to be eye-watering. It's just merely unpleasant. That's the first one. So the second one you'll love. Um, oh, you do more? Okay. Yeah, yeah. The second one, it's like something happens to your taste buds when you get to the second one. It's like that's when it really gets sour. Oh, nice. So I'm looking at Log Rocket. And yep. Log Rocket's cool because... It's like in my world, I'd call it complicated. In other words, when I do performance marketing for something like Log Rocket, it's complicated and it's awesome. And I want to unpack like why I think it's awesome, but why it's complicated, and then hear it from your perspective. Okay. So why it's awesome? Um, we have all these integrations that were pre-built into, so I can use technographic targeting, and I can essentially identify users of Mixed Panel, Heap, Pendo. I can essentially then use those to build out a very ideal, like targeted ideal customer persona with matching messaging and matching customer reviews. And it's very easy, I think, to get people excited about how they would bolt your product onto their existing environment. Mm -hmm. It's complicated because you look like a company that was product-led and has engineering-type pricing that has somehow gone way up market and is actually only really viable if you have maybe lots more sessions yet your pricing reflects something that seems like it could get added on. And so it's complicated. And how do you take a bolt-on product in this different environment with all these different personas and make mm -hmm. it successful? So on the outside looking in, that's where I'm coming from. Yeah. Okay. So my first question, how do you choose your TAM given how different your audience is if you're selling, let's say, into the front-end web developer 
versus the CTO, who's usually backend focused, hmm. versus the last part, which is like the product marketer who is maybe using it day to day. And I think there's like three parties, right? You have the web at front end developer, product marketer, and then back end slash CTO slash leadership team. So how do you navigate all three of those buying personas? Yeah, you're right. You don't really start off with any softballs. You just go right in. Yeah. Um, I guess what I would say is like the, so you're not wrong, you know, so I've been at LogRocket for a little over four years. And when we started, um, I was the sixth or seventh person in the room. Yep. And now there's um, over a hundred. And so, the product has absolutely changed over the last and matured over those four years. So when we started like anyone else, you know, we're a point solution that was pretty much just a tool um, for front end engineers, yep. right. Um, doing the session replay and um, gradually, you know, both kind of as the, as we, the company matured and the product matured, uh, we realized pretty quickly, like it's not engineers, not the sole stakeholders. So you it's not just a debugging tool. It's no. actually more viable and important than that because product managers, right? They're in their mix panel and they're trying to figure out why these people keep dropping off. And they think it's maybe due to something that's not technical when it could be an actual technical issue that's causing these drop-offs and they would have no way of identifying that. Right. And, you know, you mentioned all the, the different kinds of users or for us, yeah. our personas. Yeah. Um, you know, there are a bunch of just per personas strictly in the engineering space. Um, right. And then... Also, yeah, there are, you know, there's successes uh, or UX. Um, and I was just saying to you when, before we got started, like as the, the product has become more complex, um, product managers or the PM function, product ops has all become really, um, especially in like the enterprise deals, they're at the very least stakeholders. Yeah. Um, so our, our vision, yeah. although if you really want the vision, you should talk to the CEO he's but he's like the vision is like what if you could have a place where um technical and non-technical stakeholders had yep. an easy place to go and find these sort of analytics that you need so it's it's not just you know front-end monitoring it's the product analytics it's performance which matters a ton so because yeah, I do everything for sumo logic back in the day and I haven't yeah. like I haven't been pretty involved in that kind of space and so I see how you're like this weird niche of it and that's why, you know, to me, it's like you sell to two audiences at once. How do you balance selling into front end people? And then, in my opinion, oftentimes maybe more back end people at the same time. Like how, how do you navigate like a more complex buying center with digital? And like when you all think of advertising. So the reason I'm asking this is I believe in like persona singularity. I think it really helps. Like for me, I sell directors of demand gen. Now, not everybody's a director of demand gen, but by focusing into a director of demand gen, I start to understand, despite a trillion different titles, the shared responsibility of an in-house manager who owns the website, right? Like at the end of the day, I get that human really well. How do you take all your different humans and kind of blend them into one when they are actually far more disparate than mine, where there's not a huge difference between digital marketing manager and director yeah. of demand gen? Like they're, they're like different titles, but same thing. Yours are actually genuinely different functions. Yeah. So how do you choose which one to target with digital or do you target both? Like, how do you all think about breaking in? Like, who's your champion? Who's your spearhead that then lets you do that kind of more uh, teen platform sell that you're going after? Yeah. So um, I, I think a lot of it was just kind of um, 
the word that I'm, I'm thinking about is kind of logical. Like we started yeah. sell, selling to engineers yeah. um, and, you know, I did content for four years and yeah. we started with, with um, we didn't invent the genre for front end tutorials, but I feel like we did pretty good at it. And so the blog is about 3 million page views a month. Wow. Um, and huge, yeah. I feel like, and there's over 400 freelancers that, that write for us. Um, I could go on and on about, about that, obviously, but like, so the most important thing you asked, how do we decide who to sell to? Well, the first thing was actually um, give the engineering community um, something that they could actually use and reason to, to feel positively about LogRocket. Log yeah. um, and so then it just became kind of like a, a, a marriage of what we had already thought we wanted to do you know, from the beginning or at the least maybe a, a year later, or at least a year yeah. out, like this could be useful for a lot of other personas. Yeah. And then running into deals where um, the engineer, like we've already sold whoever is the stakeholder in engineering. Right. And then they go, oh yeah, by the way, you know, it's the product person's budget and that you got to start all over again. So let's uh, talk about that because yeah. that's, what I, that's what I saw so unique and what I know is such a hard problem for so many organizations. That's why I want to pull on this string. So yep. essentially, Log Rocket sells to engineers historically. Self onboarding, thousand sessions free, technical content. I mean, I went through your blog. It is technical content mm -hmm. based in engineering. Yet over time, right? I'm sure whether private equity or VC or whoever the money is, is like, hey, we want to improve our gross margin. We want to go upstream, right? So you launch your $99 a month plan, but then you have no other plan. It's just straight to enterprise. Anytime I see that, I know it's a company that's trying to figure out how to go up market and they're realizing for example what i think is obvious since i've in the space which is like engineers aren't essentially compelling enough of a voice for us to sell large deal values through just that engineer practitioner who likes our product sometimes so how are you navigating going from this engineer persona that you wrote all this content for all these years you have technical content i mean you anytime i see like the level of documentation you have and the amount of like actual code in your content i'm like okay this is a technical product sold to a technical human, yet they're trying to now sell to product marketing managers, front-end marketers, people who are doing conversion rate optimization, things like that. And that's a new persona. So how are you navigating that? Like, how do you go from being so technical to something that's much more maybe palatable to a larger buying center? Like, what's that strategy? What's that thing you have to do different now that you're learning? Yeah, well, I'll let you know when I figure it out completely. Um, <laughs> yeah. But no, I mean, I, I agree with you. Like, that's more or less what's happening um and for me like i have been thinking about this for for almost two years but it's only been my job officially for mm, maybe the last three or four months um so yeah i mean it just starts with talking to as many product professionals as possible which sounds obvious but like each time i think i've talked to maybe 20 25 product folks yeah. in the last month or so and each wow. conversation is a new wrinkle in understanding that function it's like yeah. how big is the company what is your um what's the vertical in the first place how how mature do you have a, a pnl responsibility at all um it's wild really like and they're all very kind of well i don't know if a 25 or 20 person sample size that probably counts as anecdotal but um you know like they're kind of tribal in that sense and that like if i talk to a 3d printer product manager, yeah. they have nothing to say really to um, somebody who works at Geico as a PM. Yeah. Like they really don't. So yeah. 
Yeah. It's One very, person. No, it's very niche. You're totally right. And they all have different product marketing is such a vague thing as a generality, like every industry's version of it, like product marketing, cybersecurity, I would argue is still different than product marketing and log analytics. Like even the way they think about product marketing within the different SaaS verticals, let alone all the other verticals outside of SaaS, I think is very different. Well, so, um, yeah, product marketing for sure. Product managers uh, also similarly different, right? And it's interesting. Yeah. Like I talked to one person who has successfully marketed to PMs um, and she was like, man, I really don't miss this persona at all. It's <laughs> like, thank you. That's very, yeah, uh, thank you. I, I appreciate really that. But like, it did feel good, right? Like understanding, wow, this is complicated. And you can pick one, um, like if we had started with PMs, the product would look different for starters. Correct. And that's what I can tell. You're like in this navigation of what we were versus what we we're becoming or want yeah. to be. And that's why I'm just so curious. So like, for example, price. I find your pricing to be confusing. Okay. But I'd like to hear your perspective on it. Just from an outside consultant's view. And I mm -hmm. want to see why you guys do this way. Because this is, I think, really insightful for the audience. So I see your product as if I was selling your product, I would only be targeting um, websites with lots of traffic. Because to me, I think the codependency of a large AOV and strong retention and adoption of our product is that they have enough sessions that they couldn't just find the th these mistakes manually. In other words, you need enough scale that this version of log management on front-end web development is truly needed. And it, it's not a hard sell. And so I would filter by price, yet the way you have your pricing structured is essentially anyone who would be a good fit is custom pricing. So it's almost like the pricing is irrelevant to the customers we want with the way we're doing visible pricing. Is that mm -hmm. on purpose? Like, how are we choosing price? You know what I'm saying? Because you, you cut it off at $99, yet I would argue nobody on the AE team is like, thank God I got another $99 a month account, right? Like, they don't even sell those ones. Those ones are all self-sold. So, like, yeah. how, how are you all thinking about that part? Because I think Pricing and positioning is so indicative of your persona and where you're going. Yeah, it's a good question. I'm not sure you're, you're honestly, I'm not sure you're talking to the right person for, I don't have anything to do with pricing really. But yeah. what I can tell you is that um, the, it's been really interesting, again, watching it over the, over four years, like the $99 deals um, don't always stay $99. Like those are, Correct. you know, they kind of like, because you have usage-based pricing, right? It's like per 10,000 sessions or something like that. I think. Exactly, exactly. Um, so yeah, I, I would say if there's anybody that's going to say, um, I think LogRocket is, for example, like, oh, you know, the sticker point here is is too high. It's, it's a really small company. Yeah. Um, and so I guess my answer to your question is yes, to some extent. Like there's yeah. the... Because um, it's not an expensive product for how enterprise its usages that's why i thought it was so interesting in other words i feel like you have to have a ton of traffic to use it yet it's almost positioned like it's still something that like developers on their own can use when i don't even know if developers at an enterprise company could even self-onboard it if they wanted to because they might not have that freedom that's why i'm like just trying to wrap my brain oh around. sure yeah well like that's that really depends on the company. Like there's some yeah. enterprises for sure that they could just swipe their credit card and it's no big deal. And other ones have to go through procurement and Correct. that's, we are certainly not the only ones that have that um, experience. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would agree with you that like there are plenty of cases where, you know, pick a number, say it costs 
twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, you know, like there are plenty of companies who are like, that's fine. I don't think. About yeah, anything that under like eighteen thousand or whatever, fifteen thousand, they don't need procurement for or whatever. You know, like and they have their ways of doing it, and you can do monthly, and so it never triggers it. So I see all that. I guess I just find the evolution of organizations like Log Rocket mm. so intriguing because I I'm doing it myself, right? I'm moving directive upstream. And I see how hard it is to unwind my historical things that got me to where I'm at to launch the things I need to to get me where I'm going. Right. And I, I just see you all going through that same phase. Let's go back five years, though, to when Log Rock was starting or four years when you just got there, right? Your first 10 employees or whatever. Yeah. It seems to me like integrations are a huge part of your strategy now. Were integrations critical to your growth in the sense that you could form those partnerships with a mix panel, with an amplitude, with a pendo, with a heap. And that could like fuel you forward. And for, cause I see so many people getting integrations later now. And mm. I don't know if you got to them later, if you started with them, I just see them as such a low acquisition cost driver of growth. Yet I don't see that many new, like series A startups leveraging integrations that well these days. What am I missing there? What, what, what was your experience on it? Yeah. I mean, I, actually I was just talking to, um, a customer as part of the, uh, the PM interviews and they uh, were asking about um, content and they said, you know, instead of content, we went with integrations first. Um, and yeah. I was like, uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> and like, cause that, to me, that, that made a lot of sense. And we yeah. did kind of the same thing. Um, it's way easier to spin up. It's more scalable. You don't have to have quote, all these different writers, all this editorial process and you're codependent on Google to get traffic versus people who already established with traffic and who already have your same target total adjustable market as customers, right? Yeah. Um, in fact, a lot of those those partnerships, those integrations, were there before I even got there. So, like, they were they existed. It was one of the first things that we did. How critical is that to your growth in your mind? Um, I think it depends on the actual integration, honestly. Like, especially early on, like they had to be even ones we thought. Like what did you learn about integration? Like break that break that down for me. Like what did you think would work and didn't versus what did you think wouldn't work and ended up working? I don't know that that integrations necessarily. Like I can recall any that um, oh what a what a failure like what a nightmare you know because like what is the integration for the product anyway? Like that depends on like what does it actually do. Mm -hmm. um, what I can remember is like you know access to some marketplaces where like we thought we might get. We might get a lot of business from like, oh God, we're finally into this large marketplace. Uh, and then just like nothing happened at all. And we're like, well, that wasn't probably worth signing up for and going through and jumping through those hoops. So like you know, like an AWS marketplace and thinking you finally made it and then it, it just doesn't hit. Right. But that, you know, like now it's a joke. Like, or it's like yeah, yeah. like okay, like some like because every now and then something will come through the marketplace I'm thinking of. And you know, those five people that were there are like, yay, we, you know, it's finally paying off. But Again, that is just kind of like, that was what the first year was like anyway. Like, this isn't going to work. Or, okay, this doesn't work. Let's, how are we going to iterate and try something that does work? So, yeah. No, I love that. All right, it is sour and sass. You got to oh, yeah, do it again. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Okay. I just popped one in just in, in solidarity a second ago, so. Oh, oh man. <laughs> it's so They're actually not that bad. I did. I watched uh, a couple of YouTube videos on this stuff. I got toxic yeah. waste, and people are like, "Man, that's fine." But then they were like, "Okay, let's try to put five or six in our mouth and see what happens." Then it became less fine. 
Yeah, no, you'll see the second one for some reason. Yeah. It's like you've been like primed. You've been warmed up and really? you are ready to sour go. Alright, well if I can get the thing open. Oh yeah. That's yeah. always a conundrum. Yeah, they can melt the the That's the... exactly what the problem is. It's yeah, like... oh man, I'm now a pro in all the hazardous, <laughs> hazardous candy. So I'll, I'll keep working. You can ask yeah. the questions. Of the As people. you're uh, unlocking, unlocking nature's greatest secrets over there. <laughs> the um, I see people get their butt kicked, and you pulled it off. Uh, so I'm going to ask you a question. I think that you can actually really answer more from individual experience, which I think okay. you'll like. Hey, content marketing to technical people. Yeah. What do What do most people get wrong? What did you get wrong? What did you finally get right? Because I feel like building a technical audience is very hard. And frankly, you've done it better than most everyone I've interviewed. So what's been your secret to technical content? I mean, you scaled obviously through writers, which is nuts because quality control gets even harder. Editorial control is harder, right? Like now, it's like, how did you do it, man? Like what's the secret to technical content that everybody else is getting wrong that you got right? You know, you're right about the second one kind of hitting different. It does hit different, right? You're right. Um, so first of all, like like I said before, yeah, we didn't invent the genre for front end right. tutorials. So like, um, the free code camps of the world, uh, the hacker noons of the world, like to my mind, and there are lots of others that before that Smash a Magazine, Site like, Point, I think, did this pretty well. Yep, um, DigitalOcean, another one. Yeah. Although I don't remember, I can't remember if we did it. If like we were doing it at the same time, but those guys scaled like crazy from it too. DigitalOcean, because I was I was competing with DigitalOcean forever with a couple of different companies. Mm-hmm. Node for a while. I've done yeah. So, um, so like there was a template for it. Um, yeah. I think what and those all of those publications that I named, um, I think are doing it really well. Um, yeah. Or they were if they've no longer around. Um, well, those are publications a lot of times, not individual companies. I mean, I'm I'm looking with a lot of individual companies, and they they create this really crappy, more like content for nobody. It feels like it's like content for this fictional CTO in their mind that doesn't exist. And so I think you've avoided that. We never wanted. I never wanted to do that. Like I, yeah. it was a publication first, um, and then you know, maybe after six months or so, we started thinking about it. Like. And that was like, okay, so lots of times yeah. I'll hear like, well, why didn't you name it Blog Rocket? Like, you're so stupid for not figuring that out. Like, how pithy that could have been. Um, and I have to say like, well, at the time, I was worried that people wouldn't really understand the difference that Log Rocket was a product versus like a publication. I, like um, yeah, I agree with you, by the way. Uh, thank you. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, so there are things where, um, but we always started thinking of it like a publication and that... Um, and we only had one advertiser and the advertiser is log rocket. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it was, um, the team grew incrementally as well. Um, what I've said other places is like our traffic grew, um, with like, there's a very linear relationship to frequency of posting. So can you, so for content teams, can they think about traffic in headcount in your opinion? Yeah. 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 For us, um, hundred percent with the content wow. team is 12 people now. So that's, you know, a little bit less than 10% of the total company. Um, wow. And, you know, it's the, the leads that come from content that we can track back to like when that first started, yeah. it's 
significant. Way higher life cycle stages, conversion rates, better SQL rate, better operate, better close rate, better retention rate because they're part of your brand, right? Yeah. I mean, when I come back a lot, 95% of our traffic is organic. 95% of it is at a desktop. So it's not hard to figure out like what developers are doing. Like they're working on stuff. They're at work or they're there and they forgot how to do a thing or they never knew how to do a thing or whatever. No. Um, yeah. So, but so, you asked, yeah. no, go ahead. I guess along the question line earlier, do you find, so like for me, I, I actually grew director the same way. I ranked as number one for SEO agency. I, I was creating content every day. I guest posted for everybody. But when I went up market, what I found was my readers no longer wanted to pay my new price. That's why I could see how you still have that zero and $99 is because your primary acquisition channel, you don't have firmographic control over. Yeah. And that's the hard part with content. Like I can't control that people only with X amount of website traffic get my ads like I can with advertising. Mm -hmm. That's why advertising is easier to go up market with than organic, but organic has this much lower customer acquisition cost and better life cycle stages. So for you now today, how are you thinking about going up market with content within that same lens? Changing personas or going up market? Like, I guess within... it's almost the same thing, right? Because you have to change your persona to go up market to a certain extent, no? Yeah. And that's, um, again, I'm not sure... Like, I don't think the playbook is the same. You know, it's I don't not, think right. That's what's so hard. The other playbook you get, you do your keyword research, you keep it in line with a theme and you can crank them out. When you go on market, it feels like that doesn't work the same, right? Well, it, it's just a, a function of, of how, how that persona behaves, right? Like there's, it's what's the new theme, right? Like PMs what's that don't, new? Yeah. Right. PMs aren't Googling 95, like that's just not happening. They're not reading as much. My guess is they're, they're whatever it is they're working on uh, doesn't require like the stuff that they're that if they were to Google something and they have to be really kind of new um, in their function, like I need some foundational right. stuff that's like real um, or they're looking for experiences like, okay, I have a problem. Has anyone else had this problem? <laughs> you know, yeah. and like that's their job to be done, right? They're JTBD yeah. while a developer has constantly new jobs to be done and you can constantly like fulfill that need through content creation and developers are also very independent, right? Where they don't want to ask someone else for help. So they're going to Google it themselves. They're also getting it looked down upon by their fellow engineers as like the dumb engineer who always needs help. So they're very self, I feel like sustained as people, right? So organic fits that persona in a unique way. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like there's plenty of, of, engineers who would be like i don't does anyone know what this is but maybe everyone's just super friendly at log rocket i think the heart the bigger problem is um at least in the front end space the 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 landscape is changing it's so complex there are new tools to keep up on there are new things where like does this go with does this tool work with that tool or does this i mean if you yeah. stop paying attention then you're going to be behind and for some people that's fine because like whatever it is they're asked to do is not that complicated complicated is not the right word is not like as nuanced um, maybe it's not as susceptible to like they're not going to their company is not going to use the brand new thing that just came out you know yes correct so, so they're not constantly reacting to the new tech stack and trying to integrate it all but the thing that like if they're using react which is the most popular framework like that although it's a library technically um yeah i mean there there are things that are constantly changing obviously whenever you know react or uh the React group releases something, so then you're back out. Um, how cases. important is that little statement you made, do you think, to why technical content worked for you? Because I think there's a lot of people who are trying to run content for a technical company that don't know React is a library instead of a framework. 
Um, you know what I'm saying here? Like, how important do you think that little moment you had right there is to actually building an audience that's technical? I think that if you want, like, I, I always say, especially on our like on our podcast, when I'm interviewing technical people, like I always tell them from the beginning, listen, I'm not an engineer. I'm really good at faking it. Like I can get six or seven questions deep and then you might ask me a question. I have no idea what you're saying. Um, you know, and like usually when there are seven, they, look, most people can figure out I'm not an engineer pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, sometimes they're just an architect and are asking questions because they want to know. I'm like, I don't have any idea what you're asking. Um, I think it, it is, is it essential? Probably not. Um, is it helpful for sure? Especially when you're trying to build relationships and like recruit writers and they have questions and you have to go like, you have to be able to, but that's part of your job as a content marketer. Like you're, yeah, you're you should be able to kind of pick up things quickly. And um, I personally really enjoy technical audiences. I prefer them say to marketers, I would not want to market to marketers. Yeah. Yeah. Marketing to marketers is all about what I say is like shockingly memorable, right? You have to be able to do marketing that's so bold, they get jealous. And that's how you market to them. It's all about jealousy. It's weird. Yeah, which is, I don't know, feels weird. Like I much prefer like, can I just give you useful information instead? And you like, feel nice about it and get your job done. And I go, you know what? And then crush CE or CEO, crush SEO. So that like you just keep seeing log rocket over and over again and what the hell is this yeah hey this is kind of cool and that's where the product team really um like that's where the, the content product marriage really happened is um it really wouldn't have worked out if i you know if we succeeded in content getting leads in the pipeline and then engineers looked at the product and went like well this sucks <laughs> yeah if there was no bridge right between your acquisition channel and its usage Yep. And I find that to be so clever. I guess my last question for you is where does podcasting fit to technical audiences? Because I haven't seen a lot of my technical clients and we have a lot of them. Like we frankly have a ton of, I call it like DevOps, right? Like I have tons, like DevOps might be the largest SaaS vertical in the world. Like seriously, like the SaaS to support SaaS is nuts. And so I end up with all these engineering type audiences all day, every day, but I don't think any of them have a podcast that they would say is a huge part of their success. Yeah. Like where, where does podcasting fit, man? Like wh what's your take on it? I think there are the, first of all, there's tons of podcasts um, in the developer engineer space, yeah. but they're not really corporate, um, which is funny to like, even think about yourself as a corporate entity, you know, like it's yeah. weird, but um, mostly it's like other developers or um, developers who, um, kind of stopped developing full time. And now they do kind of, it's, it's a teaching thing. Yeah. Um, so there's a giant space there. And so what we've done is um, kind of do the same. Well, they're not tutorials, it's conversations. It's like, yeah. or um, because we're able, like there would be no, um, there'd be no audience for our podcast if we didn't do the blog, right? Like nobody would come. So yeah, I mean, the, the space in podcasting is like, I always joke, especially they're not there really to listen to me. They're there for the guests sure. and the guests wouldn't come on if we didn't do a good job with our brand <laughs> and saying like, oh, I, I've heard a log rocket. They've given the community lots of great stuff. I would love to be on, you know, um, a thousand percent. And I, I think it's so important because I think some people, 
I think the problem with podcasting as a channel is, and I know I fell victim to this myself when I first started, is you think podcasting is an acquisition channel, but it's actually an activation channel. Yeah. And I think people get that part wrong. Like you don't launch a podcast and then get it discoverable for the keyword marketing and everyone listens to it. You know, like it's not really how that works. It's much more like people hear about your brand from somewhere else. They enjoy your brand and they want more of your brand. And this is a more conversational way of engaging with it. If that makes sense. Yeah. And, you know, like with anything else, like you have to be aware of, of your audience. And so when you're creating that podcast, like don't put any ads in it make everything like don't take it serious like yeah. take it seriously well there's it depends on who's hosting it me less serious when ben um the other co-host when he does it he's like prepared and asks real questions that's why, <laughs> we, that's why we give him the that's why he gets the more you know like the more famous uh people <laughs> there is some some guests that figure that out like i guess i'm kind of the b team like don't take it that way god uh, dang brian come on man you're 18 baby Thank you. That's what I tell them. I go, look, yeah, it's yeah. going to be less, way less stressful on this experience. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I it does sound corny because um, I think everyone says it, but not everyone really does it. Is that it's yeah. super important to to genuinely believe like well, the thing that you're doing, like this is going to be useful. Yeah. Um, and I make the same comment like occasionally, you know, like if our one of our posts makes it to the front page of Hacker News, inevitably someone will say in the comments, like, well, these, you know this is just flagrant content marketing. And I'm like, yeah, yes. Duh, thank you. You know, and it's, it's, um, but then other people are jumping like, oh yeah, but you know, the way that they advertise the product is like this little tiny thing at the bottom. That's just like, hey, you know, did you know we have a product? You could click this thing if you want to yeah, find this, out. Yes, this is a content syndication feed called Hacker News. What do you think we're all playing here, fam? Well, <laughs> so I've actually had a, um, <laughs> I've actually had some conversations with lots of Reddit um because and I don't even care about Reddit traffic anymore, which is funny. Like I love that, man. You're in the deep web, man. You're on like <laughs> Hacker News and Reddit, and you got all the trolls just killing you. <laughs> well, Reddit, you know, Reddit will not let, for example, like if I worked at, uh, I don't know, New York Log Times. No, if I worked at LogRocket, <laughs> like I can't, like, I can't post LogRocket stuff to, to that's against the Reddit rules, right? And that makes yeah. sense. They're looking to fight spam. But then yeah. I look and see that like two things that uh, the community has uploaded that topic themselves so they liked it yeah. um but then also okay well you're also publishing things like from other major media outlets i don't understand your rules <laughs> I don't get the rules yeah but you know what at the end of the day it's like it was important at the beginning and this happens a lot with yeah. with uh, people who are just starting publish like if that reloads if you got to the front page of an important you know subreddit oh i remember you viral on product hunt or something you think you've like made it and then you go look at the revenue later and you're like it's because you know referral traffic doesn't convert, but also yeah. it's like you might get 500 page views, and you're like, maybe that's a. You'll know it's very exciting when you no longer care about 500 page views. You know, you're like, I could get that, and it doesn't blip anymore. Your Google Analytics aren't all wonky, and you have to try to normalize it because of like, well, last yeah. month was our Hacker News month, that's why you know, and yeah. you have to start doing that whole thing. No, you know, when you stop worrying about it, you've made it right. That's how you know you're like, all right, we're we're finally. We have our own engine that's self-sufficient. Don't get me wrong. I, I love everyone at Hacker News and Reddit, but these are the things <laughs> I, so, But yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, um, the traffic is always nice and you never know. Like it is, a, it, it's pleasant, but it, it doesn't equal dollars. So no, it's so true. I love this. This has been awesome. Brian Neville O'Neill. Nice. Thank you. Director of marketing and for product managers, managers at LogRocket. How'd I do? 
pretty good. It's a tough. I would say it's not. It's it's a mouthful. It's, <laughs> no, a mouthful. Man. it's been great having you on the show. For anyone who wants to learn from your journey and also have what you're doing with content, uh, what's where's the best place to follow, uh, Brian? Yeah, I mean, I'm on Twitter at bneville.o'neill. You yes. can just email me if you want to just talk. It's Brian at LogRocket. It's not that hard. I noticed that my spam has gone like through the roof since I changed my title. So thanks, marketers. <laughs> hey, man, that's what we're here for, man. <laughs> hey, well, hey, thanks so much for being on the show. Uh, check out LogRocket. Check out Brian. And that's Sour and Sass, everybody. Thanks, Brian. Take care.